Welcome to the HP Lovecraft Book Club. In uh, this episode, I'll be looking at the second half of Herbert West Reanimator. It's going to be a straight up uh, continuation of the last episode, so I'm not going to do any preliminary um, talk. I'm just going to jump right into part four, chapter four of, of the story. So listen to the last episode if you just happen to join this podcast on this episode. So I'm not going to, I don't want to repeat myself too much. All right, part four is called The Scream of the Dead. Um, and, you know, th this is a turning point in the story, obviously. This is a chapter in which Herbert West starts to turn to murder to get his fresh body. Um, they're still in the Arkham area. Um, I think at this point they're, they're, the, the narrator and Herbert West still have their, their Bolton practice. Um, and, but they're continuing to do their experiments. And Herbert West is frustrated though the lack of fresh bodies and his numerous failed experiments up to this point. So he turns to murder. And uh, really the, the terror in this story, the effect in this particular chapter of the story, chapter four, is in the, in this real, the, the revelation that Herbert West is being a murderer. So the, the, the chapter starts with, uh, the scream of a dead man gave to me that acute and added horror of Dr. Herbert West, which harassed the later years of our companionship. It's natural that such a thing as a dead man's scream should give horror, for it's obviously not a pleasing or ordinary occurrence, but it was used to similar experiences, hence suffered on this occasion only because of particular circumstances. And, as I have implied, it was not of the dead man himself that I became afraid. So very nice, uh, you know, setting up the mystery of the scream of the dead and then connecting it that it wasn't, that wasn't what scared me so much as the, the actions of my friend, Dr. Herbert West, um, West. Uh, then we have a very, very long um, recap. Uh, you know, each of these chapters, well, except the first one, has a very, very long recap. And this one recaps everything that happened in the first three, three chapters, including their time as students at Miskatonic, the, the reanimation of, of Dean Halsey, who I think is still not named, the, the, their movement to, to Bolton, their, their experimenting on working class victims, and ultimately on a on, on a black man, a black boxer who dies in the ring, he gets revived, escapes, and ends up uh, murdering uh, a small Italian immigrant kid, about five years old. West uh, is able to kill that, that revived corpse, though. Um, so that's all recap of the previous chapter. Um, again, I, I don't mind these. Some people really are distracted by these. I don't mind them in the course of reading the story. It, it kind of makes the story, it slows down the story a little bit. I think it'd be, a, it, if you didn't have it, it'd probably only be like an hour long in the audiobook. So it, it does kind of slow down the tale and allows us to kind of reinforce certain themes and ideas that, that Lovecraft is playing with. So it works here, but I understand why he doesn't do it in other serially written stories. Um, but the focus here of this chapter is Herbert West's motivation for uh, to find a fresh, fresh body. So we, we jump right into uh, what happened here. And, and this is actually the actual material in this chapter, in chapter four, is quite slight. It's only, it ends up only being three pages uh, in the Klinger anthology. About Only about half of the whole chapter uh, is the actual events. And basically what happens is he, the narrator, uh, it's in 1910 now, so they've been together seven years or so, uh, you know, wanting to have this fresh body um, 
leads him to invent a sort of embalming fluid, he says. Now, I'm not sure West is reliable here because we'll see, we'll see later on what actually this fluid does. But he says he's created an embalming fluid that, uh, that's f for future rather than immediate use. Let me read this because it's all very vague. But the point here is artificial preservation. So the narrator says, I had known that he was working on a new and highly unusual embalming compound. I was not surprised that it turned out well. But until he explained the details, I was also puzzled as to how such a compound could help in our work, since the objectionable staleness of the specimens was largely due to delay occurring before we secured them. This I now saw Herbert, where West had clearly recognized, creating his embalming compound for future rather than immediate use, and trusting to fate to supply again with some very recent or unburied corpse as it had years before we have attained the Negro killed in the Bolton prize fight. So the idea is as soon as you get a hold of someone who died, you immediately put this embalming fluid in them, which will preserve the, the body, right? But not destroy the body for, for their uses, right? Because that's the problem with just normally embalmed bodies is they can't be used for the experiment because it damages the organs and it really you know, can't be revived. It's basically poison in your veins. Um, so that seems to make sense. But when we actually look at what happens here, I'm a little doubtful of this. So anyways, he comes, he comes home one day and there is already a body waiting for, for, for them. And, and the narrator, you know, narrator sees that West has already prepared this body for them. And West gives a story that basically this man uh, named Robert Levitt, who's kind of a middle class guy, they've been experimenting on working class people for a while, but this is more of a middle class guy, but a bit of a drifter, kind of a, you know, a traveling businessman, you know, not really a drifter, but, you know, someone who doesn't really have family or connections or whatever. So he's kind of useful. He's not there as a family. He's just, he's there on some kind of dubious business. It's not really clear. This is a bit of a mysterious um, figure too, because we can't really trust West narration at all anyways, but that, that doesn't matter that much. So he comes there and then he's like, has a heart attack. He just sort of, that's West's story anyway, that he just sort of dies there. And then West puts this um, drug in him to preserve the body. Yeah, the, the, the death is blamed on a presumably weak heart. But anyways, West gets his body, according to his story here. So it's, it's eight days later after apparently this West acquired this body um, that they decide to do their experiment. They prepare the reagent for revival of the body. Um, so it's July 18th, quote, Herbert West and I stood in the cellar laboratory and gazed at a white silent figure beneath a dazzling arc light. The embalming compound had worked uncannily well for as I stood fascinatingly at the sturdy frame that had lain two weeks without stiffening, I was moved to seek West assurance that the thing was really dead. And quote, I think we're supposed to ask that question as well. Is he dead? And, and here's my question. Was this an embalming fluid that preserved a dead body or was it just kind of something that put this person into a, a type of a coma. It wasn't really just a really souped up an anesthetic, right? Because it, it seems kind of dubious that there'd be this, he could invent this embalming fluid that could preserve bodies without damaging the organs and, and, and all the systems. So it could be useful for this reanimation. Our narrator just sort of assumes it's okay. Yeah, we should do it. Or, or that West is smart. I mean, he assumes that West is smart, so he should just trust him and go along with what he's saying. But the body looks still alive. And I'm saying maybe, I think it is alive. I think what West injected him with was really just an embalming fluid. And the reason why is, if you actually read the, the, the events here, um, 
Okay, quote, forbidding me to touch the body, he first injected a drug at the wrist just beneath the, to places, the, the place the needle had punctured when injecting the embalming compound. This, he said, was to neutralize the compound and release the system to a normal relaxation so that the reanimating solution might freely work when injected. Okay, so that makes sense, but it might just be an, something to counteract the anesthesia and wake him up because you need to have, you know, if you want to reanimate him, you have to have everything working properly. That's what I think is happening here. Now, going on, slightly later when a change in a general tremor seemed to affect the dead limbs, West stuffed a pillow-like object violently over the twitching face, not withdrawing it until the corpse appeared quiet and ready for our first uh, our attempt at reanimation. So I think what West just literally murders this person, wakes him up from this coma, this anesthetic coma he puts him in, and then just suffocates him with a pillow, and then immediately injects the reagent. I, I don't think, I think this nonsense about a, a this, this uh, embalming compound that could be neutralized with another chemical is all, is all bullshit on West's part. I think West murders him there, right? And maybe it's obvious. Maybe other people have noticed this before, but I haven't really heard anyone look at it. So maybe it's because it's so obvious no one's mentioned it before. But I, that I'm holding, that's the chain of events that happened here. So he's murdered and then instantly revived. Now, what... We could, you know, Lovecraft could have jumped right to the climax of the story here, and, and I'll tell you what that is right now. So basically what happens is he does revive, but it doesn't work. The experiment fails because he, he immediately dies afterwards. So it, it's kind of a failed experiment, but he is revived, and he says just one thing, and this is that the scream of the dead uh, that the title is based, the title of the chapter refers to. He says, help, keep off, you cursed little toehead fiend, keep that damn needle away from me, end quote. So that's the... That's the last words he said before he was anesthetized, I think. So it works. He regains kind of consciousness, rationality, the ability to speak, but he dies. So it's, it's a success, but it's also a bit of a failure. But I think if you look at the narration of the story, I think from West's point of view, he was successful here. And, and he moves on to other projects after this part. I think for all intents and purposes, West has proven his theory, you know, it works even though this particular specimen didn't survive. But that's not all that's going on in this chapter. The other interesting thing going on in this chapter is this conversation about materialism and the afterlife because uh, West is presented as the strict materialist, the narrator presented as essentially a materialist, but someone who still holds up some hope of a soul and has some belief in the soul kind of in the back of his mind. Um, quote, West was a materialist believing in no soul and attributing all the working of consciousness to bodily phenomenon. Consequently, he held no, he looked for no revelation of hideous secrets from gulfs or caverns behind dust barriers. I did not wholly disagree with him theoretically, yet held a vague instinctive remnants of the primitive faith of my forefathers, so I cannot help eyeing the corpse with a certain amount of awe and terrible expectation, end quote. So he still wants to have a conversation with the afterlife. He sort of wants to know what's going to happen after the, what someone can report back from the afterlife. Right. So in this sense, it's very much like that Stephen King novel Revival, in which the main motivation of the mad scientist is to get a report from the afterlife. It's a great novel, by the way. Uh, you should should read it. Now, I'm just going to say that for, for my, in my reading of the story, West is triumphant after chapter four. Um, but the story is not over because um, he moves on to other experiments. So let's jump into chapter four. Chapter four, part four is called Horrors from the Shadows. And we got a whole new setting here and location. 
so it's five years after this scream in the dark, which again suggests that West thought himself triumphant. So he didn't really need to continue his experiments reviving corpse. He proved he could revive a rational um, corpse if it's fresh enough. But he moves. On, he goes to World War One. He goes to World, he goes to the Great War. He wouldn't have said World War One at the time because this was written in the twenties. So it's the Great War. Right, and this is this these scenes of the of the Great War are quite nice, and it's it's one of several stories, obviously, that Lovecraft set in in World War One, like the Temple and Dagon, and this one I think are the ones that are most commonly mentioned. Speaking of that, I just read uh, Poole's uh, history of, of of art and literature and painting and movies. Uh, as as they were influenced by the Great War, called Wastelands. It's a wonderful book, a great introduction to. The, the theme of how the World War One just created this atmosphere of horror across the culture and how that influenced um, speculative fiction of various types. So a wonderful, wonderful book. Recommended. And it does mention Herbert West, Reanimator. He actually, he wrote a whole book on um, Lovecraft earlier, which I haven't, I haven't got around to reading yet. So anyways, we get we, we kind of jump to the Great War and, and he, he sort of doesn't, he kind of tones down the recaps here because I, I think it does kind of is a kind of an extension to the story. It's almost like a, if you kind of see West as triumphant after chapter four, five and six are just kind of codas to that, that story. Um, so he goes to war. He has this desire to go to war. West does. And he wants to serve as a surgeon at the war, kind of. So he continues experiments. He goes along, quote, almost against his will. I think if, if, you, if you're one of the people who believe that Herbert West and the narrator are the same person, just two sides of the same personality, that might be a, a evidence to that fact, I think. I think I, I'm open-minded about this particular theory. I, I prefer them as separate people. But uh, I, I see the appeal of, of kind of morphing these two characters together. Um, but anyways, he gets dragged along into the war. Um, but at this point, he's saying, I want to kind of get rid of West, but I can't. I'm kind of stuck with him. Uh, and we still have this contrast uh, between, between him and West and, and what they see as their purpose in the war, their motivation for going to the war. Um, but ultimately, West is there for, for bodies. And he's willing to do his job as a military surgeon in order to acquire those, those bodies. Now, why do I say this is kind of a shift in, in love or, or in West's research? Well, it's a shift because he's already proven he can revive the dead. So now he starts experimenting and reviving body parts. And I think it's, it's, it's just a wonderful buildup of the kind of this culture of horror that Poole talks about. You know, if, you know, that, that what, you know, so many people came back from that war missing limbs, right? People had their limbs chopped off, blown off you know, damaged in some way, injured. People lost their ability to see, to hear. They lost their mental stability. People came back from the war literally broken in a variety of ways, right? So the focus here then on body parts becomes kind of, it's, it's kind of ghoulish, but it fits into kind of the, the sentiment of the time when people were coming back with, with, with missing body parts. I wonder if Lovecraft even had this idea just seeing like a World War I veteran walking around on crutches or something without a part of his body and he thinks well what you know can you revive a part of the body or, or or just the whole body all right and we even have a kind of return here to something mentioned in a previous chapter and that's like the artistic element of the grotesque here 
All right, and I think that's something Poole mentions a lot in the Wastelands book, is how the grotesque, the horror of the war became a source of creativity for so many artists. Uh, quote, gradually I came to find Herbert West himself more horrible than anything he did. That was when he do it dawned on me that, that his no once normal scientific zeal for prolonging life had subtly de degenerated into a mere morbid and ghoulish curiosity and secret sense of charnel picturesqueness. His interest became a hellish and perverse addiction to the repellently and fiendishly abnormal. Right? Not that he becomes an artist so much, but there's almost kind of an artistic you know, level to his curiosity. It's not purely scientific anymore, according to our, our narrator. It's simply ghoulish fasc 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 fascination. So his new question is, can surgically separated parts uh, be revived? Right? And I actually do think the story kind of veers into out of science fiction to, to real supernatural things in this section of the story, as we'll see. Um, um, some great descriptions, though, of, of West's work here. He's, he's working in the surgeon's tent during the war. And of course, he's, he's saving a lot of lives, but every once in a while there's revolvers being shot, you know, like from his experiments and things that are alive that shouldn't be, and he has to, you know, eliminate them. Really kind of creepy stuff here. So a new character is introduced here, a, a, a kind of a new person who gets well-known, who starts to know West's research. West is, you know, by, by this point, West was well-known it seems. And one person, not most people rejected him as just a madman, but one person was interested in him, and that was Major Sir Eric Moreland Chapman Lee. Um, and he was also a surgeon in the same unit that West and our narrator are in. And he became fascinated in West's research. In fact, so much so that he would actually be a better protege for West than the narrator, kind of a competitor. Or, as we'll see in the story, uh, someone who can kind of carry on uh, or, or carry on West legacy or steal West legacy. And that's, this is, of course, is the plot of the movie, uh, Reanimator. Fun, great movie. Uh, that's all set in Miskatonic University. So it just takes like all the themes and a lot of plot points from what the story and condenses it to the events of like the first or second chapter of that, of the story. But a lot of the themes are there, like the body part stuff is there, the, the headless reanimation, um, and the guy trying to steal Herbert West's research is, you know, there it's a professor. So what he wants to do, what West wants to do, and what um, Sir Eric Moreland Chapman Lee is also sort of interested in was could a, a, a body without a head be revived, right? Do you need to have the mind? Is the mind central to it? And that seems to be showing really this is a new research because previously he was interested in preserving a rational specimen, reviving a rational specimen, and that seems to require the brain, right? You know, not the, not the, just the body. You're not just interested, can you revive an arm, right? Can you, can you shoot, you know, somehow get an arm to move on its own? You want it connected to a rational mind. That was his interest. And so, what, however perverse it was, there was maybe a legitimate scientific foundation to it, but just reviving a body without a head, what's the function of that? It's, it's just curiosity and ghoulish curiosity at that. Um, so the theory though that West begins to play with here, and I don't really see how it connects to his previous theories, but it does show some development on West's part. And that is the theory that man doesn't have a central connective um, spirit, which you sort of already know, but no central nervous system either. Merely a machine of nervous matter, each section more or less complete in the self. So we're sort of decentralized um, parts 
right? This is kind of taking the materialism to a whole other level. Right? I mean, you can be materialistic and say we're just all brain. I think that's what most materialists say, right? That, that we are just our brain, and if we have a brain injury, we're emotionally changed by that trauma, right? And there's no really soul there. There's nothing. There's no eternal consciousness behind that. It's just we're just brain. When our brain dies, we're done for. Um, but he's saying it's 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 beyond that. It's like each part of the body kind of runs autonomously, right? And maybe there's at the you know reasons to think this for instance you know people who are brain dead their heart still pumps maybe you know or we can keep you know certain parts of their body can go on so i don't know but that's where west is west is thinking how can i prove this well i prove it by reanimating a, a leg or an arm or a headless body um, so uh the chapter ends and we're, we're already at the end of this chapter five uh he's you know going to do these experiments or whatever and the germans Sorry, I, I forgot something. So, actually, uh, Eric Moreland Chapman Lee dies in a plane crash, and he's brought to West Tent. So he's no longer going to be a competitor or a threat to his legacy or going to steal it. It's just sort of hinted at here. But he dies, and so Herbert West begins to do the experiment on him. So, he, you know, the head's cut off, and he tries to like, seal the neck with some new flesh, revive the body, right? He puts the head in, like, a tank, a silent trunk just puts the head there to forget it because he's not interested in the head anymore he's interested in the body and he revives the body but just as this happens the germans attack the tent or nearby destroys the experiment destroys the body west and the and the narrator both survive i think they're the only survivors of it but the creepy thing is that the narrator seems to have heard something from that box after the reagent was injected into the body and that was jump ronald for god's sakes jump just like in chapter four, we kind of get the last words or the first thing said by the reanimated corpse. But what's wild here is, of course, he doesn't inject the head. The head's separated. He injects the body. But somehow by reanimating the body, the head also speaks. Now, this is the exact opposite. This proves the opposite of West's theory. West's theory is saying we're totally materialistic bodies. We're just, in this, you know, we're just an aggregate of different machines kind of cobbled together. Right, one can function independently of the others, right? Not only is that proven sort of not to be true. It, it's proven that like even after we die and we can revive the body, and the head's dead in a box, neck, you know, across the room, the the head's also revived, right? So that's really a supernatural kind of turn in the story. Now it's so weird that the narrator doubts it at the time and says, maybe I didn't really hear it because it was during this attack. Maybe I didn't really notice it, but it's a bit, you know really uh, a weird turn and I, I don't quite know what Lovecraft's going for here uh, you know if he had injected the head and the body I guess I could it make more sense to me but we're, we're back to kind of everything that Herbert West believed everything he bases research on seems false if the head can speak independent of the of the body you know the revived body can somehow reviving the body somehow revives the head but anyways, uh, a really great chapter, a lot of interesting themes here, like uh, the contrast between West and the narrator is kind of deepened in this chapter. We have, of course, the setting of the Great War, which is always fun and, and, and a great site, a great location for horror. The kind of the artistic mission, kind of West kind of delving into not only more grotesque types of research, but also delving into a more aesthetic 
uh, approach to it, kind of going after, like really embracing the coolishness of his work. Um, you know, the, just the, the fact that this focus on detached bodies during the war, I think, just reminds us of how horrible that war really was, right? That although people, just like the Civil War, you know, the fact that technology and medicine advanced such that we could save lives that, you know, 50 years or 100 years earlier would have died. Like in the Crimean War, these people died, but by the Civil War and especially by the Great War, you could save these lives. You know, but what kind of life are you preserving? People get their faces blown off. It's like that novel Johnny got a, got his gun right. You know, the guy's whole face is blown off, and his only sense is a sense of touch. Um, you know, but that was the reality of the war for millions and millions of people. Um, and this new phase in his his research. It's all, um, and of course, this chapter also sets up the climax of the story, where it gets a little bit campy. I think in part six it gets a little bit uh, even pulpier than the story already is. I think it's it's my least favorite of the chapters, I guess, the, the conclusion. I think it kind of, you have this kind of cliche ending of, of like the zombies coming back to get revenge on their master and, and kind of clean up all the old business. Okay, whatever, it's it's fine. I, I think this, this there could have been a different ending of the story, perhaps, that would have been more appealing to me. But anyways, it's, let's jump into it. Part six, the Tomb Legions. Um, so, um, the story starts, we're right now to, I guess it's like 1919, 1920 or so. And Herbert West, is, we're told Herbert West disappeared a year ago. So this story is being recounted a year after Herbert West disappeared, uh, after the narrator was questioned by the police. I guess if you have the theory that these are the same person, you have to interpret this, that Herbert West is just a part of this persona that disappeared. And, and it's actually, the narrator is kind of completely abolished that because of terror of what he's done. He's abolished that part of his personality. But, you know, it's easier if you take these as separate people. Um, so West has kind of, his, his kind of experiments and what he's been doing has sort of been revealed to the public. There's greater knowledge of West's actions. Um, we got the police kind of there cleaning up the mess. Uh, I think that's a fairly common Lovecraft theme, though, is like the police cleaning up the mess. It's, it's certainly maybe exemplified most in the story of, of Innsmouth, Shadow Over Innsmouth, but other stories sort of have that. Um, after this little introduction where we're told he disappeared and I've been questioned by the police, we get a fairly long recap that takes up almost two pages. Of course, he's recapping the whole story, but it's basically half of the chapter again, where it's just recapping everything that happened. Um, but one thing we're reminded of here is the headless physician, Chapman Lee, this man who was apparently blown up in this German attack on the tent, this headless corpse that's been revived that somehow still can communicate with his head, which is also now revived somehow by magic and can talk. Uh, he knows West Method. He's been kind of primed on West Method. He studied West Method. He worked with West and he kind of can recreate it. So now you have a person out there who, you know, in theory can create his own kind of zombie army. So after the war, West goes back to New England, to the area around Boston, the old burial grounds around Boston. He creates a new lab, but he creates this lab next to old 18th century um, burial grounds, a really creepy place for his, his to continue his work. Quote, the laboratory was in a sub-cellar secretly constructed by imported workmen. 
and contained a huge incinerator for the quiet and complete disposable of such bodies or fragments and synthetic mockeries of bodies as might remain from the morbid experiments on a hallowed amusement of the owner. During the excavation of this cellar, the workmen had struck some exceedingly ancient masonry, undoubtedly connected with an old burial ground, yet far too deep to correspond with any known sepulchre therein. After a number of calculations, West decided that it represented some secret chamber beneath the tombs of Averell's, um, the, where the last interment had been made in 1768. So it's an old family, right? But he continues his work. But the narrator tells us here that his work at this point has lost any connection to, to, to kind of scientific research and scientific methods. It's, it's even for the amusement of Herbert West. So he's gone completely to the perverse uh, element of his of his research just doing things so it sounds like actually here he's piecing together bodies and reviving them doing all sorts of really really nasty stuff and then just incinerating these bodies after he plays around with them still has fear though he still fears uh that his first experiment that escaped he still fears uh halsey and the insane asylum but more or less continues with his his work so the climax of this whole tale then comes when they read in the newspaper and they read a story, a headline story about something that happened at Sefton Asylum 50 miles away. That's, that's where Halsey, the reanimated Halsey is, is stored. And I think this is the first time it's really admitted. This chapter is the first time it's really admitted in text clearly, black and white, that Halsey is the, 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 or the reanimated corpse of Halsey is in the asylum. Before that, it was just hinted at. It's pretty clear. I mean, it wasn't that Lovecraft was trying to shadow it, but the narrator is trying to hide it. Now he admits it, you know, in the in the sixth part. Um, but anyways, uh, basically the asylum is is sacked by quote uh, a body of silent men with a with a leader surrounded by attendants. He was menacing many military figure who talked without moving his lips, and whose voice seemed under almost ventriloquism we connected to an immense black case he carried so he's carrying his head in a box and he's got this like mask on his head with like a wax face wax yeah waxen face with painted eyes to kind of fake being human but this is all described in the police report and what happened is that they free uh halsey that was their whole agenda is, is freeing this one individual Right. So I wonder if, if, if Chapman Lee must have known about Halsey or, or figured it out from his own research. Maybe Wes told him. But they ask for him, and when they kind of resist, they kill a bunch of the attendants, just break in and, and take back the, the, the free Halsey. Um, they're reading that late at night, and around the same time, they get a, there's a ring at the doorbell, and it's... Um, figures carrying a strange box you know basically it's the same group of of people they've, they've come to west house to kind of finish their family business to get the revenge on west or whatever they should get the box and he looks into it and that box says it's from eric warren chapman lee from flanders six years actually six years before so this is maybe my dates are a bit off here so this would be like 1921 so if that's yeah, maybe. So it's, I think the story still starts like 1904 or so, 1905. But um, anyways, he gets the box. He sees it's, it's basically the head of Dr. Chapman Lee. And at this point, all the, 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 the legions, the tomb legions break in, 
take take West away, seize him, and he silently kind of surrenders as he's dragged away. And the leader of this mob, of course, is the is this guy in a Canadian officer's uniform, Chapman Lee, with this wax wax head. And the story ends with the narrator saving, saying, "Servants found me unconscious in the morning. West was gone. The incinerator continued only unidentifiable ash." Detectives have questioned me, but what can I say? The Sefton tragedy, they'll not connect with West. Not that, nor the men with the box whose existence they deny. Now, that's a forgetting. We're, we have an, an act of forgetting here by the police, right? There are some things that the police don't want to have in the public record, something they know about, something the authorities know about that they want to keep hidden, right? Uh, he also hide, they also, uh, he also denies and laughs off the, the Oh, the other element here, sorry, I, I, is in the final kind of where these tomb legions take Herbert West away, there's like the breaking down of these plaster walls near these sepulchers. So the idea is that even these zombies somehow be revived and they drag him away. But that seems to be in his mind, right? Because the walls are unbroken, right? And they, he says this is what happened, but the police look at the walls and they're unbroken and they laugh at him. Uh, and they say, maybe you're insane. And, and that's kind of how the story ends. Um, so a little bit of ambiguity at the end. I think actually the last three, the last two parts of this book get really kind of weird, uh, both in the fact that you have these, these kind of fan, these made up zombies on the, top, on the top of the real ones, right? You have the real ones that West is animating that come back for the revenge, but the you know. You also got these 18th century zombies that seem to break through the wall from this sepulcher that their that their lab is next to, and they're not ones that West experimented on, right? And they're obviously couldn't be revived based on what we've been told in the story that you can't revive old skeletons. Um, but that's all in his head, and I think if you want to buy this argument, that this is the most convincing case for West and the narrator being the same person is is this part of the story. Right. This is where it makes the most sense. And this is where it almost has to be uh, if you want the story to make sense at this point. If you don't want to just be ambiguous and weird is that, you know, this final attack didn't happen. It's just a delusion he has. Right. Maybe the Halsey thing, the Halsey breakout happens. But after that, this fantasy of him being attacked by these monsters and dragged away silently, no sound being made by West is just him kind of purging that element of his personality. Um, and, you know, and I find that fairly convincing. I just, I like having the, the, the other character there, kind of the Holmes and Watson kind of uh, banter. It would kind of, it's a little bit more satisfying for me, but I really see why people will think this. And I think it's a fairly convincing thesis, actually. You know, and maybe in a couple years, maybe next time I read this, I'll be convinced of it entirely. Um, but certainly it seems this final part of the story is somehow fantastical right especially with the walls breaking down now the other thing that gets really weird in these last two chapters is the whole revival of the head when you revive the body you know because chapman lee's head was separated from his body it was the body that was injected but somehow the, the head is revived as well so this suggests a spiritual a soul this is actually evidence of a soul if anything right because if if you can revive the body and it you're reviving a disattached head there's something connecting that and that has to be at this at the, at the supernatural level, right? It has to be the soul. Um, and that's, of course, 
you know, maybe that's why West's research gets weirder at the end is he just can't really handle that. And that's why he's doing these experiments with different, it seems he's doing experiments with connecting different body parts together at the end, kind of doing a Frankenstein thing towards the end. Um, he says, fragments and synthetic mockeries of bodies. That, I think I read that, synthetic mockeries of bodies, is he's kind of piecing them together. So anyways, you know, the last chapter may be frustrating if you want a clear cut explanation, but if you want to take the theory that they're the same person, uh, which is becoming more convincing to me every time I look at this story, um, I just don't like it. I'd rather there were two people, I guess. But what do we have here? Well, um, you know, I guess another interesting thing about these last two parts is, is war becoming a cover for experiments. I guess this fits more in chapter five. I should have mentioned it then, but you know, it's, this is, this really happens, right? War often gets talked about as a, something that carries on scientific research. You know, obviously the Apollo program or rocketry during World War II, aviation technology, all vastly expanded due to wartime conditions and wartime research. But they're also provide cover then for, for other types of experiments, usually social ones, right? Not usually medical ones, although some of that certainly takes place. And you do have like the Mengele characters, right? The Auschwitz doctors and the, the T4 euthanasia uh, program in Nazi Germany. Um, you know, the origin of plastic surgery is like facial reconstruction of World War I survivors. There's a lot of medical stuff going on there, you know. A lot of it's on the up and up, though. It's legitimate research, but some more less legitimate stuff was hidden by war. But I think more importantly, social experiments, and most maybe the most important to mention here are ethnic cleansings and genocides. They almost always take place in the cover of war, right? A war that really, on the surface, is not related to the genocidal goals of a state or a population. But if you have a war, it becomes cover then for that, right? The Armenians during World War One, the Holocaust, of course, the Rwandan genocide that was in the context of a civil war. Um, you know, again and again, you see genocide being an ethnic cleansings, uh, one, you know, ethnic cleansing efforts that maybe don't reach the stage of genocide, but are genocidal uh, in some ways. You know, often war is a part of it. They almost never happen outside of a, of a conflict. And then other types of social experiments like mass mobilization, command economies, uh, propaganda, you know, other, other efforts to try to kind of reform society had their kind of, they were played out, experimented on in war. And often, and sometimes, you know, initiated by people who without kind of a top-down authority. So I think West here in the, in, in the Great War can be sort of an archetype for a, a, a larger story of, of, of using war as a cover for some some kind of insidious experiments. Um, another thing to mention here is in the end of the story is we do seem to get the spread of West methods. Uh, it's Chapman Lee is the one who seems to spread it, but he has the knowledge and he has the ability to, to revive others, which he seems to do because he has a little posse with him. And I assume those other revived corpses. So he's able to do it. This is all kind of built up in the movie version. It's a big part of the movie version. Um, but West methods are spread. So West may be gone, but the methods are still out there. And there's no clear answer to what happens with Chapman Lee. So anyways, I guess that's it. That's my thoughts on Herbert West Reanimator. A really important story. A lot to say about it. I like it. 
I urge you to read it if you haven't already read it. But I think most Lovecraft fans have, have of course, read this story probably multiple times. Um, so if there's anything I missed, anything I, I should have talked about a little bit more, let me know if there's any themes or, or perspectives that I've forgotten. You know, send me a tweet or leave a comment. Or send me an email at 100pagescast at gmail.com. I'd love to hear from you. Um, so next up, uh, we have two fragments or two short. One's a fragment, one's a, a short prose poem, but they're both, you know, I think altogether it's like 1,200 words for these two little stories. So I'm going to do them together rather than do one episode on them. Uh, that will be What the Moon Brings and Azatoth. Azatoth is a fragment. It was like a, he was going to write a book about Azatoth and all he got out of it was like 500 words, but it, it just exists. It's been published. So let's talk about it. Um, and then What the Moon Brings is a pure story, but it's itself is only 700 words or so. So we'll look at those two as one episode. They're thematically a little bit similar. Um, so that'll work. Um, so I'll, I'll have a very short episode talking about those two, and then we'll jump on to the unnameable. And we're getting really into a series of wonderful stories. Lovecraft wrote, the unnameable, the hound, lurking fear, the shunned house, rats on the wall, then call of Cthulhu, and then we're really in the, the heart of the Lovecraftian mythos, the, the Arkham cycle, or whatever you want to call it. Um, so anyways, that's going to be it for now. Uh, so thanks for listening to my thoughts about Herbert West uh, Reanimator, um, one of my favorite Lovecraft stories. I'll see you next time with my kind of a two-parter on what the moon brings in Azathoth.